Oh, almost certainly. I mean, I, I think it's hard to pinpoint light bulb moments, but I, you know, you, I think after any of these trips, you do feel like your worldview has expanded. Um, and so, yeah, in, in some ways, it's just very inspirational to remember how small you are in the world. Um, and, and something that I always try to be really mindful of is um, there are billions of ways to live. Um, and, uh, so, so mine is, you know, one, you know, just, just one small version of that. Um, and, and somebody is living an entirely different life out there that has com completely no overlap with mine. And yet, you know, we, we can still be kind to each other. Um, so yeah, I, I think in the, in those ways, it just really humbles me. Um, and it's something that I carry with me in all my interactions, whether it's, you know, in that local community or really just with anybody that I meet. That was Ellie Daftour, and welcome back to Techua with Benjamin Morse. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Techawat with Benjamin Morse. Excited that you're here listening to this podcast right now, and I am really honored to present Ellie Daftour today as my guest. Ellie's a rock star, quite literally. Uh, she's also my colleague at the Center for Academic Innovation at the University of Michigan, and Ellie is one of those people that you meet and you're just so amazed at how how much raw talent they have. and. I first met Ellie, obviously through work, uh, and you know Ellie is amazing at her job, incredibly professional, really skilled inside our studios, both to oversee the the videography of the content that we create, but also the audio and specifically the audio. And I think I probably should have known that she was up to just a little bit more than uh, her professional uh, scope of things. But as I got to know Ellie, uh, I, I learned that not only is she an incredible professional in the media and design and production space, but she also uh, is the lead singer and member of the band Tanager, uh, which is an Ypsilanti-based band, uh, incredible music. Uh, she also you know, grew up with a father who played the keyboards and all sorts of other instruments and kind of uh, set her on her own journey. Uh, her mother was very encouraging, it sounds like, in, in the early days as well. Uh, Ellie has a background in, you know, um, graphic design and, uh, you know, playing all sorts of instruments that range from the flute uh, to the keyboards to the guitar. She's got a couple pretty funny stories on her own journey, kind of leaning in and discovering herself as an artist. And I'm really excited to share all of that with you today. Um, what is even more special about today's conversation is that we start out by a performance. Ellie actually plays a song called Burn Out the Night uh, from an album called Hertz Donut uh, from her Tanager band. And it's quite an amazing song. It actually speaks really well to the moment that we're all collectively living through with the pandemic. But surprisingly, she actually wrote the song back in 2012 and, you know, recorded it several years after writing it. So it's amazing how art evolves and it changes. And we talk a little bit about that as well. Um, so really, without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Ellie Daftour. And let's start by listening to her song, Burn Out the Night. 
insane that was so awesome thanks <laughs> well it. welcome to the show thanks for having me yeah it's it's such a delight to have you here i i really couldn't think of any better way to start a podcast episode with you than than the way we just walked it in so thank you so much for that well, that's nice of you to say, because uh, <laughs> I, I consider myself more of a studio musician than a uh, live performer, although I attempt live performance a lot with many of my friends. Uh, so it's it's nice to share it with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm really excited to share it out beyond just me. It's this is the, the second time now that I've had a live performance uh, during during a podcast recording. And it's it's awesome. Like it, it just feels like I'm in a, a little tiny desk concert. And I just, you know, an, an audience of one, but be sure we will be sharing this out and, and I'm excited uh, to hear everyone's kind of reactions to it. I love the song. It's oh, very, you. very cool. And also like very timely, I think, like a lot of the the pieces, like feeling, you know, trapped inside a maze and like the 
the notion of like trying to make sense of the moment that we're all in kind of the the mystery in my mind like all of that resonates so well but you wrote this song a couple of years ago right uh yeah and and in fact so this this is on a record that i put out um about three years ago now but was something that i had written in 2012 um and sort wow. of started out <laughs> as uh kind of a, a sillier thing where you know the original concept that i had for this was sometimes it's really hard to wake up in the morning uh but then it did kind of evolve into this idea of oh you, you know i i battle with this myself sometimes where, you know, some days it's a little bit hard to get out of bed um, in general. And, um, you know, there are some days where you find it hard to to connect with other people and to kind of want to connect and engage with the world. Um, and it, it ended up becoming part of this larger record and opened this record, in fact, where, uh, you know, this, this song sort of started out with, you know, maybe myself or maybe a character uh, who was who was feeling very isolated. And then later songs on this album, um, started to explore this concept of, oh, you know, getting out, talking with other people, uh, hearing their perspectives and, and sort of changing your worldview and, and remembering that, oh, yes, there's so much out there uh, in the world uh, and, and so much that people have to give. Um, and you can do a real disservice to yourself by by sort of locking yourself up. But uh, as you mentioned, of course, we've we've been dealing with the realities of kind of mm-hmm. being um, locked up in our own homes for the last uh, year right. and some change now. So, yes, feels very relevant. <laughs> It's a beautiful narrative arc that you're you're able to pull off on that album. And I I absolutely love how art evolves, right? Like we, you know, you you created this this idea, you created these lyrics uh, you know, a while ago. And, you know, now now I think even me going through this and listening for, you know, listen to the song a few times uh recently, but to hear you play it right now. Like it really resonates with the moment. And I think that's that's one of the things I, I so truly love about singers, songwriters, and and this kind of format of music is it's it's a bit of a, a lens into the past. It helps us understand the current moment and certainly forecast the future in very interesting ways. Yeah. Well, well yeah, that, that's a really uh, wonderful way to sum it up. I, I appreciate you saying all those things. Um, yeah, and, and, and certainly something that I've recognized not only in my own music, but in the music of, of others um, and, you know, popular music that I enjoy where the meaning shifts over time, um, depending on who I am as a person five years ago, today, five years from now. Um, I, I will take away different messages from any, you know, music or art form that I, that I uh, experience. Yeah, I love it. I'm laughing a little bit uh, because I, you know, I I run. I'm I'm you know consistently training, and I listen to a lot of music. And uh, I was joking with my wife the other day. Uh, you know, we both served in the Peace Corps together. We were we were in Ethiopia. We were both really gotten running down there. And the way that we got our our updated music was somebody would go and pirate you know, like the top 50 global hits or the Billboard 100 or whatever it was. Um, and that that was shared kind of through all the Peace Corps uh, community. And it's so funny because like I look at the basically the top Billboard 2012 uh, is, is like my running mix. And it's so <laughs> funny because it's so the opposite of, I think, a lot of music that I was listening to before Peace Corps, certainly a lot after. But I was actually running the other day to that that playlist and like Rihanna was like bumping in my headphones and I was just, you know, it, it's silly, but it, it's great. Cause it, br- it just brings you back to the moment. 
and I can't imagine what's that like, like what that is like to be an artist in this space, to be like a somebody that wrote these lyrics in 2012, to then you know go back and now performing it in in late 2021. Like, what is that like on from your perspective for songs oh, that you've written? <laughs> Uh, yeah, gee, fantastic question. And um, feel free to compare yourself to Rihanna if you would like as well. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I can. I, I'm not sure that I myself was listening to a lot of Rihanna at the time that I composed this music, but <laughs> fair point. Respect, respect to Rihanna, though. Uh, yeah, just a phenomenal superstar. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think as an artist and, um, you know, I, I certainly do not equate myself uh, with pop stars, but I, I think you hope that um, if, if you make a real effort to write your lyrics that some of those messages might be timeless or, um, you know, you are speaking to, to something larger than um, just your own very specific internal experience. Although, you know, some broad messages I think can come from specificity um, and personal experience. But um, yeah, it, it is really funny. And, and in some ways to, uh, you know, I personally have have this problem with myself where Frequently in in writing or in journaling, I, I look at something I wrote yesterday and I hate it today. <laughs> and right, so that's a right. that's a real challenge that I have to overcome. And so it means that I, I really put just so much effort into writing lyrics because I recognize that those are things that I'm going to be performing for for years. Hopefully, if I'm happy enough with the song and the and the message. Um, and, and so too, you know, the other thing is that um, I I try to keep the the language. Um, basic enough in a way that it could be open to interpretation as as right. years go on as and as right. I change as a person. Um, I, I'm really big on ambiguity in, in poetry and in lyrics. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I think in that way, it's really easy for the message to kind of change shape um, as I change as a person. Um, you know, I, I'm really big on wordplay and, and sort of these yeah. things that are not always tied directly to um, meaning, but instead are just, sure. you know, playing with words. Um, and so I, I think in that way, like that lends itself to some fun experimentation that doesn't always feel so heady, um, right. or, or heavy. Um, and, yeah. um, yeah, really it, it's possible to shift that and, and still have fun with it if you're performing it eight years down the road. Yeah. That's beautiful. I, I'm thinking of, you know, another podcast conversation I had with, uh, Taylor Gagos, uh, who is a muralist. Uh, he's uh, incredible at painting and drawing portraits, um, puts a lot of art out into the world. Um, and what I, I really love about him, and I'm hearing a little bit in, in your story as well and, and kind of the way that you interpret it, but you know, you create this piece of art and it has a lot of meaning to you, uh, or maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's something that you just kind of put together. There's a spectrum there, I'm sure. Um, but once you put it out to the world, it kind of changes it a little bit. You're kind of giving it out there. And, and I think, like you said, everyone can interpret it differently. Everyone can interact with it differently. Uh, some people can gain a lot of value from it. Others will just overlook it. And that's just kind of part of being an artist is, is putting it out there and just having people react to it and kind of build on it and respond to it. Um, and I, I just so love that. Like that is, that is just such a beautiful cycle of expression and you know i i certainly see that already just in the song that you played and um i was i was actually 
we can get into a conversation about Bandcamp because I actually have some questions for you. Um, but we can we can punt that down the line a little bit. But I I bought your album, and and one of the really great things that I, that I was surprised to see is this beautiful songbook that you all put together. Uh, has the lyrics, it has some great photos, some good kind of graphics and art, and it's it's like another layer of expression beyond just the songs. Uh, what, I mean, what were you all thinking, kind of like thinking through the package of what, what you're sharing out with the world? <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for the kind words about that. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, something that I put together alongside the release of the music. Um, and so I, I have a background as an illustrator. It's something I've been doing since childhood. Um, and when, you know, so so I, my two bandmates uh, in Tanager, which is the group um, that released this record called Hurts Donut in 2018, um, two of the, the closest people to me in my life, it's my husband, Rishi Daftour, and my best friend, Mary Fraser. Um, and, you know, we, we talk so much. Um, we, we have a lot of different musical endeavors together, and we, we love music and, and um, just lifelong music listeners and have so many conversations about um, how, how to release music in the right. modern day. Um, you know, when I personally have, you know, hundreds of CDs <laughs> that I sure, bought, yeah. you know, probably 15 years ago. Um, and you find as time goes on that you have fewer opportunities to listen to CDs. Maybe, mm-hmm. you, you know, I, I was a big um, CD listener in my car, for example, and you notice right. that, you know, many new cars no longer have a CD player. And so where, where do you listen to these things? Um, and so, you know, the, the CD for a long time felt like a really fantastic physical format to release music on. Um, but again, if, if, if you're finding that there's not actually a platform to play that on anymore, maybe it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to release music on CDs anymore, which mm-hmm. to me is tragic because again, I, I've invested a lot into CDs. Um, you know, there's another generation that is like, yeah. you know, there's another generation that's like, oh, records, you know? <laughs> well, and I, I love like, vinyl <laughs> too, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, much less portable. Uh, I don't think I've seen too many people do a lot of, uh, commuting and listening to a vinyl record. <laughs> I'd love to try it. I think it would skip a lot. True. <laughs> I'm sure someone's figured it out, but. <laughs> yeah. And of course, um, you know, you might know that vinyl has had a huge resurgence. Um, e- even in Detroit, we have um, Archer that, that does uh, vinyl press um, pressing. And, and so it really has made a huge comeback. Uh, yeah. And I, there are many people in the local community who have released on vinyl. Uh, that ends up being very expensive. Uh, you sure. know, there, there are some means to, to do it uh, a little bit cheaper than that. But the, the wait times are quite long, um, again, because mm-hmm. it has become so popular of late that um, lots of lots of local musicians, because it came, became more accessible and you have all of these different um, people who can produce vinyl in different regions, the, the wait times are just excessive. Um, there's so, something so like yeah. visceral though about vinyl, yes. right? Like yes. there's something so experiential that is that is almost worth that extra cost, depending on who's yes. footing the bill. It's um, absolutely true. Yes. But you know, digital versus that. I mean, it's it's yes. the content is the same. The experience yes. is very different, right? It's true. Um, yes, and so yeah, this this now brings me to the idea of digital releases, which basically is what this record was. Um, it was a digital release. You know, I'll admit that uh, you know, uh, streaming services is now unfortunately how I consume most of my music. Right. Um, and so we did decide to do purely a digital release until I was encouraged by my two bandmates, Rishi and Mary, to 
produce this songbook. Um, we, we had seen some examples right. of this in the local community. It's pretty rare, I think, for people to create a book, but is really a fantastic means of sharing a little bit more of, um, you know, what went into the music behind the scenes. You have an opportunity to provide liner notes and lyrics, um, which this songbook does include all of the lyrics for the album. Um, I also put some photographs in there that were taken during the recording process or promotional nice. photos that my sister Martha took, um, which was really fun. Um, and then really just used it as an opportunity to do some illustration. You know, every everything was handwritten in the book. Again, I was encouraged by my bandmates to do this. It, it feels yeah. um, really like uh, almost, almost the way that I wrote the music, right? I, I probably had scribbled this in a notebook somewhere. Sure. Um, and I yeah. felt that this was pretty representative of, of that style of writing. And, and yeah, so it was just a way to make something physical that was still exciting to kind of hold in your hands and take away from a show um, and, and kind of keep with you on a, on a bookshelf somewhere and revisit. Um, and, and part of the, the reason, too, why I wanted to make the songbook, and I actually included a little chord chart on the first couple of pages, yeah. is we, we have so many musicians in our community and um, just so many fantastic songwriters. And I just figured, yeah, you know, this, this might be kind of a fun way if somebody's bored at some point and wants to, you know, learn a new song, uh, you know, that's not one of the 50 covers they already know how to play. Um, right. th this really breaks it down and, and it shows you, um, you know, step by step how to play this music and, and the chord shapes that were used and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun to put together, um, a fun outlet for me as an illustrator for the first time in probably 10 years um, and hopefully a, a fun product that's a little bit different. There's something so genuine and relatable to the songbook and, and the way that you released it. I mean, sure, digital and like I think there's a lot of options there. But I, you know, thinking about like a Bandcamp type of experience versus like a Spotify mm -hmm. where like Spotify like has most of their own playlists that they they create themselves, they promote. Uh, the royalties are like these really esoteric formulas that don't make a lot of sense unless you like reverse engineer it to figure out like like what what the calculation actually was. Like there's a lot of like really big differences. And I think what I love about the songbook is I feel like you know, Bandcamp gives the opportunity for you as the artist to kind of put out your own creation and do it in a format that makes sense for you, which mm -hmm. I imagine Spotify is probably not as uh, <laughs> as amendable. Ironically, people might be listening to our podcast right now on Spotify, so I don't want to completely, you know, throw them under the bus. But uh, there are some very real differences uh, that, that are worth considering, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I would consider myself an early user of both Bandcamp and Spotify. And yes, sure. I do find myself using them in very different ways. Um, I, I've always responded um, to, to your very astute comments uh, about how, yeah, Bandcamp has just made a very flexible platform um, for artists mm -hmm. to release their music and some supplemental materials in sort of any way that they wish. Um, and, and Bandcamp, too, I mean, um, you, you may know that in the last couple of years, uh, particularly during the pandemic, they started doing a monthly Bandcamp Friday. Um, and, and so that's that's been really exciting. We're basically they're waving, uh, taking their cut. Um, and, and so that that's, you know, just a really so nice huge. gesture um, yeah. to, to the, the uh, community of musicians that uh, they're supporting. Um, and two, you know, they the the way in which they highlight musicians feels a little bit different. Where, as you mentioned, um, Spotify, of course, has a number of playlists that they curate. Mm -hmm. um, 
it ends up being for, for the artist, you know, it's one, one of my songs was highlighted at a time. Um, whereas on Bandcamp, you yeah. know, they, they frequently have featured albums. Right. Um, and, th- and that feels like highlighting artists in a very different way where it's, it, mm-hmm. you know, it's basically telling the audience, hey, you know, take, take some time, take some real yeah. time to devote to this yeah. entire record that this artist yeah. really put a lot of time um, assembling mm-hmm. in the way that felt right to them. And it's not right. just kind and of I... parting it out song by song. Yeah. yeah. And I think about like the record that we just, t- you know, that we're currently talking through of yours, like you have this element of, storytelling that goes Mm -hmm. across the entire record like it is certainly something that would benefit the listener if they were to kind of go from from cover to cover within your album versus just pulling out one song that might you know look like it has the most listens out of the entire album so then you know we assume that it's the best song on the album and we kind of we kind of forget um some of those other pieces uh just yeah such such an important dimension of it right I, I totally agree. I, I think you'd not be surprised to hear that I am uh, a, a big full album listener. Um, that yeah, That's yeah. how I always liked to, to listen to records. Um, you know, I, I would go on long bike rides and just, you know, I, I used to have a, a disc man, right? <laughs> so yes, I would, yes. I would pick, pick a CD, <laughs> throw it in the disc man and uh, go on a 12 mile bike ride. And, you know, I would listen to that whole album from front to back. And that felt like the most appropriate way to experience that music. Um, and and it is kind of tragic for me to recognize that now that I'm largely listening on streaming platforms, it does feel very song by song. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm discovering artists from single songs now, and that right. is very different from how I was listening um, a decade ago. So, yeah. yeah, there's an interesting gateway thing that happens, though, with that model, right? Yes, because yes. I've, yeah. I found myself discovering songs uh, through Spotify's algorithms and all the things that they do. Um, and then going into albums and listening like front, front to back. Yep. Uh, and it's, it is interesting how we now have like too many choices in many ways, but also like just endless opportunities to discover. Right. Yeah. Um, yep. I, I totally agree. Um, and, and the same thing happens for me. I, I do find myself discovering a lot of artists through one song. And then I say, oh, this, you know, this seems like it's it's my beat. So I'm going to explore this whole album. And, and yes, I have found a lot of artists and have also spent time with their entire records uh, after discovering yeah. them the first time. Yeah. 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 And I think there's a question of like patronage that comes on the end of that on mm-hmm. Sure, Spotify might be the the platform that you discover an artist on, um, but there are many ways to support those artists. Yes, uh, that isn't just relying on the royalty structure of Spotify, uh, <laughs> yes. which I think we've already uh, addressed sufficiently. Yes, it's not um, great. So. <laughs> but I I love like a, a business model like Bandcamp that Bandcamp that has like this very straightforward and transparent like revenue share. Yeah, um, and also like doesn't require me as a listener to even create a profile like they're not taking my data and feeding right. it into their their huge system on the back end so that they can then re- make recommendations like yep. this kind of goes into the whole like big data and privacy and who who owns my my mm-hmm. musical preferences like i would yeah. like to think i do uh spotify would like to think that they do um bandcamp has a slightly different approach and i'm sure there's other platforms that are kind of on that spectrum yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it's it. fascinating to think about. It sure. is fascinating. <laughs> well, listen, I want to like go go back a little bit. Um, I think we've already kind of threaded a nice community uh, oriented needle already through this conversation. But I'd like to just get a better understanding of like 
how did you get into music? Like, I, you know, also, how did you get into art? Like what, you know, what age did that happen? And kind of what was that experience like for you? Yeah. Um, I, I think visual art, I'll, you know, <laughs> I have to admit visual art probably came first because I think I was three years old, um, when I was watching a lot of, you know, cartoons geared for young people and, uh, started drafting storyboards. Um, and, and my mother, you know, she, she's a great mom, always, um, was so impressed that at three years old, I was putting together what looked like comic scripts and, she was saying, oh, you would have somebody entering from, you know, frame left and <laughs> in profile. And, you know, again, she's very sweet. She was very impressed by that, but um, kind of sparked an ongoing interest in me um, to, to potentially be a cartoonist or an illustrator cool. someday. Um, yeah. So, yes, very early interest of mine um, in art that just kind of followed me through my whole life uh, to the present day. Um, but music really didn't come long after. Um, and I, I, I would say that most formally, it probably started when I was around, um, nine or 10 years old. Um, my, my dad is a fantastic pianist. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he would always be very casual about it where he, he was in a, a band himself, um, like, uh, a cover band, um, when he nice. was in his twenties, um, nice. just, just really fantastic kind of bluesy player, wonderful improv pianist. Um, and he had all these organs. He had this Farfisa organ that we would mess around on. Um, so he, he was very inspirational. My mom was, was always, uh, interested in music and loved music. And so we, we had a lot of Beatles, uh, playing around our house nice. all the time. Um, and I mean, the, the funny thing that I sometimes forget about my, my, uh, childhood is that it felt like there was always music happening in the house. We, we always yeah. had a speaker in every room. Like th there was probably nice. NPR playing in one room. And then, you know, so, so there'd be some talk radio in there too. But yep. it always Gotta felt like there was, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but th there was always a radio going or, you know, that they were listening to an album um, or something mm -hmm. like that. And so, yeah, just <laughs> constant sensory overload when I was a kid. Um, but when I was in fifth grade, so when I was 10 years old, I did uh, join the band. Um, I, I was a flautist uh, for many years of my life, um, starting at 10 years old. And, and so that took me through symphony band. Um, I did marching band in middle school and high school um, and just really loved it to death. Um, there, there is just something amazing about being in a room with 50 other people um, making this incredible yeah. orchestral sound um, yeah. and, and sort of recognizing everybody's place in that. You know, I, I'm a flautist. I, I would, you know, occupy sort of the highest regions of the music and then you'd have all these, you know, trombone players. And you know, so you would right, just occupy right. these different spaces and play different roles. And so that, you know, felt very communal mm -hmm. um, and, and very interesting. And I made so many close friends um, yeah. through, through being in band, you know, we were all band nerds that that old thing <laughs> <laughs> um, but um yeah just really enjoyed it just seriously one of the highlights of my life um just you know being out there playing for football games in the pet band sure. and um you know i would i would play in the pit band also for theater productions um and that sort nice. of thing so, so it always just felt like i was kind of in the mix with um people who were uh in in the drama club um you know and and through it all i was still making visual art um, and, and so eventually, uh, when, when I was in high school, I was approached by two of my very, very close friends, uh, to start a rock band. Um, and at that time I started playing Naturally. keyboards. Well, and, and this was so funny. It was, uh, so I had not really played keyboards ever until, uh, they, they asked me to join this band, but they were like, oh, your dad plays piano. You can, <laughs> you can do this, right? <laughs> 
So you I'm taught like, sure, you a few things, right? Yeah, sure. I'll give it a shot. I, I know what the notes are. I can, I can piece mm-hmm. this together. Um, but they, they, um, so, so my friends, uh, Zach Harris and Tyler Kane, um, they had started this, uh, very interesting, uh, almost like a math rock band where, you know, I mean, they, they were, um, like kind of progressive rock where a lot of it was very complicated and nuanced material. It wasn't, um, it wasn't just like some incredibly basic um, rock band. It, it felt like right. something special even at the time. Um, and we ended up uh, getting plugged into the Neutral Zone, which is a teen center in Ann Arbor, yeah. which still exists yeah, to yeah. this day. Um, they have some fantastic programming. And I, I'm so grateful for the time that we were able to spend there um, because one of the, I think, most formative experiences of my teenage years was that uh, they have a record label there called Youth Owned Records. Um, I I was just so impressed with how much trust they put in young people to produce records, to write music. Um, And basically what Youth Owned Records allowed people to do was, um, you know, come in with original compositions and cut a record. And you would have teens behind the uh, sound recording consoles. Um, You might have teens who were producing the music alongside you who were not in the band, but were giving some creative suggestions. Um, and they also have a music venue at the Neutral Zone. Uh, now it's called the B-Side, um, where yeah. they, they would have teens also booking the events at the B-Side. And so not only did we cut our first record at the Neutral Zone at Youth Owned Records, but also played several shows at the B-Side. Um, and that's that's really how I first got plugged into you know playing shows and, and really started to catch the recording bug, which ended up being a huge part of my life um, yeah. for, forever, you know, since then. Um, so yeah, just really grateful to the neutral zone. Um, and then my, my friend, Zach Harris, who was in that band with me, um, we, we ended up being just lifelong collaborators. And so I I still play music with him to this day, but, uh, following our time at the neutral zone with our, with our old, old high school band called the outfit, uh, he started a new project. It's called something less than ordinary. He uh, went to Eastern Michigan University and started throwing lots of house shows in Ypsilanti. Um, and that awesome. was a very different thing, you know, where yeah. we had gotten so used to a formal music venue at the Neutral Zone's B-side. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting to organize house shows is a very different thing. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, hosting house shows for the college community is is a whole different vibe. Um, but yeah, really just a, a different kind of sense of community. Um you know, just kind of grassroots efforts to bring people together, uh, put together a great night. Um, and basically from there, um, you know, I, I befriended a lot of people in the area at the same time. I, I was also doing, uh, exploring a lot of recording and video work. Um, and so Zach and I together ended up producing a record, um, at my parents' house. (laughs) So we, we just kind of camped out in a living room and put together a four song EP together. That that's what I think I would consider one of my first, uh, self-guided recording projects. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, basically that I think just empowered me to start making my own demo recordings, um, you know, composing my own music. Um, I was also befriending a lot of folks in Ann Arbor um, because I myself went to the University of Michigan and uh, there there was a whole different crowd of people who were not yep. attending all of those Ypsilanti, Eastern Michigan house shows. Um, and, and so it's just like really bustling community in all of these areas. And everybody was so kind, you know, if they if they found a musician and especially if they found a local musician whose music they liked, even if they were nobody, 
people were just very sweet and very encouraging. And, oh, hey, do you, do you want to play this house show next weekend? And it, it was just really easy to get plugged in um, because you were all kind of uh, working toward this common goal. Um, and, and then really from there, um, I, I was able to re-enter kind of a more formal live music scene um, once I met Mary Fraser, who is in, mm-hmm. in my band Tanager, but we also play together as Child Sleep. Um, yeah, just one of one of my favorite songwriters of all time. Yeah, um, but yeah. that that really kind of sealed the deal. And then Rishi Daftur, my my husband, um, had had been at U of M with me for many years, and and we worked together in uh, really fancy polished recording studios. And so he brought with it this this sound engineering expertise and mentorship um, that you know eventually just found its way into my life um, in a way that that I could couldn't get out. You know, I, I, uh, we, we fell in love and, uh, you know, kind of the rest is history. So it, it ended up being just this wonderful, um, marriage of all of these, you know, composing music, recording music, and and most of all, just with people I love to death. (laughs) That's amazing. Thank you so much for, for walking us through that. I, I absolutely love the, the connectivity between the, the different phases of, of your life, like having your, your father kind of introduce you to these these things and just like your your home environment of music all the time and such an encouraging it sounds like encouraging and supportive environment for you to kind of have that seed planted and and start to grow and and thrive and like i love i love talking to artists that are they're not so wed to a specific format or medium of expression like i think there's something very very unique about like your story, what you just described, like lateral thinking, like it's the ability to say, oh, like I've, I've, you know, learned how to do this, this and this, but the keyboards, yeah, I could probably figure that out. Let's do that. And it, it just opens up so many opportunities. And I feel like you can then take that and apply it to a lot of different disciplines and, and just philosophy across life and just being open to those opportunities, open to the connections and, what I, the other thing I like just, it's really standing out to me is your, your kind of loyalty that you build up, your connection to both the physical spaces, which I think is very important, especially mm-hmm. as a musician to, yep. to have like that root and to have your feet kind of on the ground and a strong foundation. Uh, but then to be sharing those physical spaces with the other artists that are also embodying them. And I know you didn't mention Ypsilanti, but you're born and raised in Ypsilanti and you currently live there. And I think a lot of the threads probably run run deep within that community as well, right? It's it's very true. Um, the the funny thing about um, <laughs> Roots and Ypsilanti is that we've had kind of an unlucky time over the last 10 years of, you know, everybody finds a music venue that they just adore and then it, then it, then it shuts down three years later. Um, so, right. you know, you build up this great momentum um, around a place and then it's gone, um, which which has been tragic. You know, I, I think of many spaces. Uh, Woodruff's is a great example. Um, it's now been many years, unfortunately, since Woodruff's closed down. Um, I also remember the Elbow Room. Um, so, so right now that space for us is Ziggy's in Ypsilanti. We love Ziggy's. Um, and, and Ziggy's has been going strong uh, this past summer, which has been really heartening to see. Um, people right. are getting very creative with how they're doing live music. There sure. have been lots of outdoor shows uh, at the mm-hmm. moment. And um, they, they've closed down Washington Street in Ypsilanti to do kind of block party style live yeah, music, yeah, yeah. Um, which which has been really exciting. And 
Uh, Ziggy's in particular has, has been pretty interesting because they, they have an alley uh, behind the building. So they, they have access to this big Washington Street stage, but they also have a smaller opportunity to just play music in the alley. It's almost like a busker or something. Um, right, but, right. Uh, but just a couple weeks ago, I, I did see a five-person band play in the Ziggy's Alley. And so you just kind of got people crammed That's in a awesome. line together. <laughs> it was pretty fantastic to watch. Um but yeah, people are just getting really inventive. We're we're making it work, um, and and yeah, that's I think really important to all of us who have just missed live music so much for the last yeah. year. And it goes back to like what we were already talking about earlier in the conversation, where this this kind of like performance and having like the connection to those spaces, like it kind of locks in and and in a way like articulates a specific moment in time, right? And like I'm sure that you know, especially with the last year and a half with the pandemic, like, you know, having an experience outside, be it uh, with music and, and being able to like actually step out of your house, feel safe, feel comfortable, feel like you're part of a community again. Uh, also a nod at your your song that you played on the top of this, like to re-engage and to go out and just see all the beautiful benefits of of that and the connection and kind of rediscovering it uh, I feel like it's something that that a lot of us are actively looking for. We mm-hmm. need in so mm-hmm. many ways. Um, and it's it's beautiful to hear that, like, you know, in, in Ipsy uh, and like specifically at Ziggy's, you've been able to find a few of those moments. Yeah, it, it's been incredibly refreshing. I can't lie. <laughs> um, and, and and new new spaces for some of us too. Uh, one one place that I had gone to a few times uh, before the pandemic, but really became um, uh, a common place for us to attend uh, over the last summer was Unity Vibration, which is a, a kombucha uh, 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 and, and tasting room uh, in Ypsilanti nice, as nice. well. Yeah. Uh, so, so they've hosted a number of shows and there's actually been uh, kind of an artist uh, musician showcase every Thursday hosted by Jake Maltby, which has been really exciting. Um, that kind of started with open mic vibes. Um, which I really appreciated, you know, kind of, kind of the whole idea was that, um, Jake would invite performers who maybe had never played live before or not frequently, or are kind of, you know, re-entering live performance, um, and just gave them a space that was a little, you know, not, not so high pressure, um, but really evolved this summer, um, to include lots of people who were just missing playing live shows because they hadn't done it for the last year and a half. Um, so, so that was, that was kind of exciting to see kind of this new, location emerge um and and to run into so many of my friends uh, at these events outdoors that's beautiful one of the um one of the areas we haven't talked about which i think also falls very squarely in this kind of community support and connection thread is also you know we we can expand it out to the expertise of rishi a little bit here but you know, you have a recording studio that that you kind of operate, and I feel like you've you've talked through this before with me, where you've kind of created one of those spaces within Ypsilanti, not necessarily the live venue, but another resource that a lot of local artists can can lean in and experience and use. Can you tell me a little bit more about that setup and how you even came to the idea of of putting putting that into your house? Yeah, happily. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, when Rishi and I got together, um, and, and eventually when we got married, I think once we moved in together, we came to realize, oh, you know, we've both separately collected all of these wonderful uh, recording devices over the last decade of our lives. 
um, and, and both were so interested in making music and so interested in recording. And again, had kind of come from these very formal environments. Um, we, we had worked together for many years at the Duderstadt Center, which is a University of Michigan uh, center in Ann Arbor. Um, really, really, that was a, a great building. They're very focused on interdisciplinary um, activities and so brought together not only musicians, recording engineers, but also artists and, um, you know, engineers and uh, theater students and all, all these sorts of things. And so... And there's a Carillion up there as well. Yeah, and... that, that's right. Um, so <laughs> so we cut our... <laughs> it's, it's true. So we cut our teeth there. Um, and, and these were very fancy spaces. Um, you know, they, they were very expensive um, renovations uh, to get those studios at the Duderstead up and running. But Rishi and I were building them up. Um, and, and again, this is, this is another example of just people placing trust in young people, which I, I just right. love to see. Um, so... I worked there as a student staff member, and so did Rishi. Eventually, we were both hired on as full-time staff. Um, but the way that we got to know each other was building systems from the ground up and really understanding how these things work and are put together, ultimately in an effort to make creative work. Um, so so we, we both have kind of this... We, we live at the intersection of the technical and the creative. Um, and yeah. so that's something we're always going to yeah. carry with us and made it very yeah. easy once we started living together to say, oh... You know, not, not only do we have all of these guitars and amplifiers, but we have audio interfaces and we've collected many microphones over the years. And, you know, what if we attempted putting something together um, and really opening it up to the community and trying to make it feel less exclusive than um, a more formal recording studio? And I, I should be clear, we are not trying to put formal studios out of business. <laughs> we love studios. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and we love many, many engineers who work in those studios. And, and so we are in no way trying to compete with them. Um, what we're offering is something very different. Um, we started out in the uh, our, our apartment building, which was the top floor um, above a, a vacant storefront, which was really great because we could make super loud music at any any hour of the day. That was really nice. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we, we call it Attic Dweller Studio, um, because at the time, again, it was on the top floor. Uh, I also had titled my first EP, uh, as, as Tanager, I titled it the Attic Dweller EP because I also lived on the top floor where I recorded all of that music. And so, um, I, un until moving into this place, uh, we had always sort of had recording spaces on the top floor of a building, hence Attic Dweller Studio. Um, now it's kind of funny because we have our current studio in the basement. I think the basement dweller studio would carry a very different <laughs> connotation. Um, but but yeah, basically our model is such that, um, again, we're, we're really not trying to compete with um, more for formal studios. And so we do try to offer um, rates that are a little bit more digestible, especially mm -hmm. for local musicians and maybe especially for people who have not recorded um, in formal spaces before or don't really know where to start or are looking to, to do something a little bit more sprawling and exploratory. Um, I, I think, you know, certainly something that I notice in myself, um, I, I can't speak for other musicians in the area, but um, I imagine a lot of them could relate to this idea. Um, you know, I'm not somebody who's out there performing every night. I'm not in Fleetwood Mac or the Rolling Stones. Like I'm not some superstar performer. And so I can't just enter a room with a band and knock out an album in a day and know that it's gonna yeah. be perfect. I need a lot of time to sit with mm -hmm. some ideas, you know, go through that over and over again. And when when a studio is charging you by the hour and you're watching the clock, that that puts a lot of pressure on it. 
Um, so that yeah. that's not the model that we're setting up here. You know, we're we're not doing some hourly thing. Um, we we mostly just try to offer these sort of package deals where, you know, we say, hey, you know, how many songs do you have? Um, and, you know, however long it takes to produce that song, that's that's what it takes. Um, and, you know, we, we I, I think have, I, I hope, built up a really nice space and, and comfortable, right? You know, it's it's in a home um, and, and mm-hmm. people are able to kind of come down here and we can all have a tea together and um, just kind of talk through some creative ideas. And again, not have to feel like we're watching the clock and you have to be totally on it all the time. We, we can sit here and have a conversation and really try to do what's best for the song. That's so awesome. I mean, I that's that's so on brand for you, Ellie. And, uh, <laughs> I... I, I love every every piece of that. I I think, you know, reflecting on what you've told me uh, here and, and what I know about you, like there's something inherent in kind of the mentor-mentee relationship that I feel like uh, is is a, a common through line within your work. Like I think your, your parents supported you, your dad playing the piano and kind of, you know, teaching you a few things, but then, you know, getting in with other folks and other students and going through the various chapters of your life. And it sounds like, you know, you've definitely had the opportunity to be a mentee and to learn from a lot of really great people along the way. Uh, it sounds like you're still open to that and you're still doing that even, even after everything that you've been able to accomplish in, in the musical world. But then on the other side, like it, it's really cool to see that you're, you're kind of the, the mentor and you're providing those spaces like the space that you had in, in Ann Arbor. You're trying to provide opportunities for local artists to, have a comfortable spot that, you know, vibes with what they're trying to do and kind of pull that, pull that pressure back a little bit, um, you know, create, create a space that, uh, you know, allows people to be themselves and to kind of step into what they really should be doing, which is creating some cool music. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's nice of you to say that uh, I, I might be in some kind of mentorship role. I, I, you know, and I don't even know if I think of it in that way either. Um, I, I mostly just like sure. to make things with cool people. Um, and, yeah, and I, I hope it feels like a partnership, right? Um, yeah. I, I think, yeah, in, in, in a lot of my work, I try not to imprint too much of myself um, on, on the work of other people. But certainly if people invite me into the work, I'm more than happy to make contributions. Um, and I'm just so honored when people do ask that of me. Yeah. Yeah, and it sounds like the the scenarios that you've set up kind of there in your, your attic dweller, <laughs> uh, basement version 2.0. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It sounds like it is a lot more personal. Like there's a lot of opportunities to just kind of talk through, talk through kind of the the project and kind of see what works and what fits, which I think is is really cool and it aligns with everything else that that you've talked through uh, with me in this conversation, which is really cool. Um, you know, one of the other things I wanted to to touch on, I know we've we've been talking pretty pretty local in Ipsy. Um, I know Rishi has a, an internationally uh, kind of scoped job. Uh, I know you've gone on a couple of international trips recently that you and I have had a, a chance to kind of connect around. I'd love to know kind of from your experiences being so kind of community oriented and, and pretty rooted within the musical scene uh, kind of where you're at. What were your experiences like kind of going abroad, stepping outside of the U.S. and, and going into kind of other cultures and communities. Absolutely. Um, so I, uh, it, it is that same kind of thing where I try not to uh, impart too much of myself uh, on those communities, right? I, I mm-hmm. recognize that I'm entering these places um, where I, I have never been and 
try as much as possible to research culture before I enter these spaces. Um, and, and so I really, I, I am, I'm going there um, trying to experience as much as possible um, and, and try to learn um, from the people around me. And, and really, most of all, just to try to be humble um, and, and to right. recognize that um, it's, it's just such an honor to be in these places. Um, and yeah, the, the first international trip I ever took was to India. Um, which was just incredible. Amazing. And it, it was a it was a whirlwind trip. I mean, seriously. So um, Rishi has lots of family in India, but we had actually gone there for a wedding um, of, a, of a college friend of his. Um, they they got married in Goa, but we actually started in Mumbai. We, we went to about five different places in India. I mean, it was just really fantastic and, and a wonderful way to experience the country. Um, so we, we first went to Mumbai, um, and spent New Year's Eve there. <laughs> nice. This was this nice. was a really you know it, it was a great time to go to India. It was uh, like you know the tail end of December, uh, yeah. beginning of January. Um, yeah. So had had a New Year's Eve in Mumbai, 2019, um, and that was an experience. You know, great fireworks show. We ended up finding some bar off the beaten path and rang in the New Year with with some friends, college friends. Um, we, we then went to Goa, which was just incredible to experience because it was so different. You know, M Mumbai is uh, so populated. Um, and and I, I could say that of almost any place in India, but the um, the landscape at Goa was so different. It's, it's essentially right. a, a beach town. Um, right. And that's where the wedding took place. And so, um, you know, we were we were, you know, spending more time in resorts and that sort of thing. Um, spending lots of time on the beach. And uh, one of the most memorable things I think about that was that most people got around by moped. Um, so that that was just a really interesting thing to see and, and experience because it's so different from my my daily life um, in, in Ypsilanti and Ann Arbor. Yep. <laughs> um, and the traffic patterns were just fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. um, have you have you been Ever to India? I haven't. I haven't yeah. been to India. Uh, yeah. Mary has. Uh, she she's gone there. I, I've been to a decent amount of places where I can certainly relate with some of those those observations and experiences. Yeah. But. Um. I I was very impressed by the drivers, all of them in India, um, particularly in Mumbai and New Delhi, um, because in in some cases uh, you could see that the traffic lights were suggestions. Maybe, <laughs> um, but but people people know how to dodge each other, and in yeah. some ways it felt more safe um, because people sort of anticipate that everybody's just going to do what they're going to do to get where they're going, and yeah, so in some ways a little more yeah. in the moment, they're a little more aware yeah. of what's around them to a certain extent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and and yet you know it, it was some high speed stuff. Um, so very impressive driving. Um, that that was a big takeaway for me, and um, you know th there were also some obstructions like um a herd of cows in the middle of the road that you'd have to, to dodge and that sort of thing so yeah really just a lovely trip um we also ended up in new delhi and in ranchi and ranchi was also entirely different in that it, it felt much more like kind of a pastoral farm town mm -hmm. um and, and rishi had family there as well so we, we ended up spending the back half of this trip just visiting family um, Rishi had not been there in many years himself, um, so it, it was just kind of a nice homecoming. And you know, they they would take us to all of their favorite places. Uh, in Ranchi, we went to visit a waterfall for a day, um, nice. and, and yeah, just lots of excellent cuisine. Um, pe people were just so sweet and kind to us, but it, it was just so nice to sort of see all all the different parts. Um, I shouldn't say all the different parts. There there is so much outside of the the you know four or five places that I experienced, but it was it was nice to see a range of 
um, you know, these giant cities of Mumbai and New Delhi compared to um, kind of these more rural areas uh, like Ranchi. Mm. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. That's very cool. Lo- loved India. <laughs> and you also spent a little bit of time in Japan, right? That I did. Um, yes. And, and Rishi has spent extensive time in Japan. Um, yeah, but right, I, right. I... <laughs> it's like his second office, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, and tragically, not not for the last year and a half. Um, you know, travel yeah. has been pretty locked down um, in Japan right. for the last while. Um, but yes, I, I did go on a really nice 10-day trip um, where, again, we it, it was one of those things where we were able to go to a few different locations uh, within the country. Um, and so largely I was staying in Nagoya, um, which yeah. is a little bit more of, you know, business district. Um, again, just like very populated area. Um, I, I did a lot of walking in Japan. Um, Rishi works very long hours when he's in Japan. He works very sure. long hours when he's in the States too, to be fair. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I just found myself uh, having a lot of time alone, um, which which was fine because I, I love walking uh, mm. in some ways. Maybe this is a little bit boring of me, but I love going to parks um, and I love just kind That's of, awesome. you know, yeah. experiencing some daylight, seeing some nice openness. Like mm. I grew up in a, in a very rural area despite living, you know, just kind of five minutes outside of civilization. Um, right. But, uh, you, you know, really, I grew up in Ipsy, but I technically was born in Belleville um, on six mm-hmm. acres, um, which is basically a large uh perennial garden um so my, my mom is awesome. a fantastic gardener um but yeah I, ju- I just kind of love you know openness nature i i, I just mm-hmm. love being out and experiencing that because I, I spend so much of my life in in these very like technical um you know closed dark spaces doing studio work you spend and, time and... <laughs> attic dwelling is what you're telling yeah, me. <laughs> exactly um so so it's always refreshing to me when i can and especially when i can experience places i've never been um on foot um because when i'm when i'm on foot i sort of feel like i can i can just kind of go anywhere uh, and try try not to trespass right but um yeah there there's just something freeing about oh you know Mm -hmm. this caught my eye i'm gonna wander over to this place quickly and and just see what that's all about um so I, i found myself doing a lot of that in nagoya just fantastic parks there um i would i would just pull out a book sit on a park bench for a few hours read walk to the next location probably get 10 miles of steps in a day Mm-hmm. So that was really good for me. Um, and then we also spent a little bit of time in uh, Kyoto and Osaka, um, mostly to, you know, experience some different cuisine. Um, you know, uh, Osaka is quite famous for uh, wonderful street food. Um, and, and yeah, so we would just do a little bit of sightseeing out in those areas and, and get some good food, see some new places and head on back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I love Japan. I love Kyoto is one of my favorite places to to explore. And, and I, I totally agree with you just in general, like, you know, Mary and I like to explore new places by running, by yeah. walking, um, as well. And it's, you know, I, I have a lot of memories running solo, you know, around cities when I, I've been traveling uh, by myself or when I was abroad, yeah. you know, I was living in uh, South Korea doing research for my thesis. And, you know, I did a lot of just running and walking just to understand yeah. kind of the lay of the land. Yep. Um, and you see and experience so many different things by doing that. Absolutely. Um, and it's, yeah, it's definitely one of the best pl- like ways to get to know a, a new kind of physical environment for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Um, and you know, I, I remember specifically, I was just on foot on route to a park one day and I found this, this ramen shop, uh, underneath the train station. 
And it's it's not really, you know, a thing that would probably, you know, if I if I was sitting there searching on Yelp or something, I, I don't know that it right, would right. pop up as, uh, you know, kind of the first thing that would uh, mm-hmm. be recommended to me. But, you know, I saw it. I was interested in it. I was in the mood for ramen. So I stopped in and it was phenomenal. <laughs> so, you know, th- yes. these are the kinds of things that I um, am, am really grateful to have when I'm just on foot and kind of, you know, truly exploring, I think, rather than um, it, it's so easy to fall into patterns of, oh, you know, what's the highest rated restaurant on Yelp right, and, right. and that kind of thing. So yeah. I, I try yeah. not to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of decisions you have to make yeah. when, you're, when you're going through a new environment like that. I am um, one of my my favorite stories and I will be brief uh but when I was in Japan with my wife we went there uh for for our honeymoon actually when I was in Korea she flew over and then we jumped over to Japan for a little bit um and since we met in Ethiopia like we both try to like seek out in in large international cities we go to the Ethiopian restaurants whenever nice. we can find them yeah and we happened to uh find the one in uh in Tokyo um, which took a lot of effort, uh, because Tokyo, did you go through Tokyo at all? I have not sadly. So like yeah. the central train station is like three square miles. It is gigantic. And there are so many different exits. And if you get out the wrong exit, you're literally like a mile and a half away from the exit. You should have, you know, <laughs> gone out. And so we eventually found this like, uh, Ethiopian restaurant. Of course we went in there, we're speaking Amharic and Tigrinya and we're connecting right away. Um, and it was really such a fascinating experience because we were there for a, quite a while. Um, we ended up, you know, making friends with everybody in the, in the place and we're talking. Um, and then, you know, we're, we're going through and then after a little while, um, we start kind of inquiring about what people do for work. And we happened to to sit down with the Ethiopian ambassador to Japan. And we were there the whole time with him. We had no idea. And he was just hanging with us. And like, you know, he ended up buying us our our whole meal and all of our our beers that we had. And uh, I think that that's that's like a version of the connection that you've been talking about as well. It's it's finding the things that that can thread those those smaller uh like manifestations of community, like through language and through culture, through shared experience, uh, and be able to come up to a complete stranger and and instantaneously have a connection. Um, and you know, I I see a lot of that in the stories that you've told, and I feel like the music community and just the art community in general is is just so full of those types of interactions. I'd be curious to hear like from you. So after going to India and, and Japan and, and coming back to Ipsy, like what, what were your kind of reflections post trip and, and, you know, did anything change for you? Any perceptions that were kind of light bulb moments? Oh, almost certainly. I mean, I, I think it's hard to pinpoint light bulb moments, but I, you know, you, I think after any mm-hmm. of these trips, you do feel like your worldview has expanded. Um, and right. so, yeah, and in some ways, it's just very inspirational to remember how small you are in the world. Um, and, and something that I always try to be really mindful of is um, there are billions of ways to live. Um, yeah. And, and uh, so so mine is, you know, one, you know, just just one small version of that. 
Um, and then somebody is living an entirely different life out there that has com completely no overlap with mine. And yet, you know, we, we can still be kind to each other. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think in, the, in those ways, it just really humbles me um, and is something that I carry with me in all my interactions, whether it's, you know, in that local community or really just with anybody that I meet. Um, and yeah, it's just reinforced every time I, I go out into a new place, particularly one where I don't know the language and I just try as best as I can to be friendly, um, and, and, you know, try to learn as much as I can to get through the day, but, um, just being eternally grateful to, you know, especially in Japan, really in both places, in both India and Japan, I noticed that despite my, you know, near complete lack of understanding of the language in both areas, people are always willing to help you. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's just a, uh, just a very humbling thing. I'm, I'm very touched by that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's again, something that I carry with me every day of just, you know, uh, be, be good to other people. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Amen to that. That's, that's very well said. Um, so kind of thinking, thinking about putting a bow on this, this conversation, I did want to ask you to, you know, people kind of listening in right now. Um, I, I think you've really done a nice job of, of painting like a really great picture for us, uh, through your own one in a billion uh, kind of lifestyle and, and kind of the work that you're doing in your community. But what advice would you have for somebody that is kind of a, an aspiring artist and creative and kind of wants to step into that world but doesn't quite know where they fit? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so I think maybe an easy piece of advice is you can feel free to start small um, you don't have to feel like you have this masterpiece figured out before you, you paint the first stroke. Um, th there are so many facets of any artistic medium, um, that it's, it's worth trying to master small pieces of it and eventually putting it all together. Um, I, I was asked a, a similar question the other day, in fact, about, um, an aspiring videographer and just, you know, how do I, how do I start with videography? It's such a dense topic. Um, and, and, you know, I, I did mention, certainly there, there are tools that, that feel ubiquitous, but I recognize that, you know, maybe not everybody has a, a mobile phone uh, these days, but for many people who do have a mobile phone, hey, that's a pretty accessible camera that, that you know, you, you have with you at, you know, <laughs> pretty much all times. Um, that, that's a really great way to maybe learn some basic composition principles. Um, or, uh, it, it's also a great or decent audio recorder. And so you, you can learn some very basic principles with, even though it's just your cell phone, um, you can realize that the closer that you place that cell phone's microphone to your face, the better the audio sounds. Um, and, and so, yeah, there, there are just some very basic kind of physical principles, um, with, with many of these, uh, disciplines that, uh, you, again, you can start small, um, and you can build up several different skills um, to sort of achieve mastery in, in any of these areas. Um, whether that's painting, whether that's, you know, music, you can you can learn to play a guitar, start with a single note, uh, learn, learn a single song and realize, you know, what chords go into that song. And, oh, now I've learned four chords. Okay, what are, what are my next four chords? And all of a sudden you've got music theory down. Um, so... Yeah, just treat it like building blocks, baby steps, um, and and don't give up. Because uh, I, I realize that uh, in in a lot of artistic disciplines, it can sometimes feel very callous. Um, critique is is <laughs> rampant um, in pretty much all artistic disciplines, and it's easy to kind of get down on yourself. Um, but 
you know, also realizing that critique comes from a place of love too. Um, and everybody's just, you know, trying to give good advice um, and help you be uh, better at your craft. Uh, sometimes it doesn't always come from such an altruistic place, but uh, many of the video producers, musicians, artists that I know um, really are just very thoughtful um, with their feedback. Um, and, and so, yeah, not, not to get dragged down by that um, and to just keep building um, and kind of knowing within yourself that you, you have that energy for the work uh, and, and don't stop. That's amazing. Thank you. And I think what's, what's racing through my mind right now is when I approached you, uh, man, when was it? Honestly, it was probably about a year ago. Um, just kind of asking you different audio questions saying, Hey, I think I might start a podcast. I think I might kind of step into this medium of expression and connection and wanted to just get kind of your, your take from your experiences and your kind of background. And I, what I really love about your answer just now is that, you know, you, you really can take those small steps. You can, you know, break it off, chunk it out, you know, make it actionable, make Mm -hmm. it you know, reduce those barriers and try to just get yourself going. And I always, I I have kind of a mantra in this space, just in general of action cures fear. And, you know, if you're, if you're staring at something, if you're researching microphones over and over again, or if you just don't know where to start, you're just stuck in analysis paralysis and you're never going to move. So you got to just make a move, take some action and do it in a very small kind of, you know, bite size uh, way. And you'll, you'll be well on your way to to kind of becoming that that artist that is within yes uh yeah i i can relate to that big time i am professionally a video editor and i think if i had to imagine that i have to cut 40 videos in the next two months i would not think that was possible (laughs) until you realize no there are a lot of very methodical steps uh between (laughs) the current nothingness that that project is and a complete product so (laughs) yeah baby steps yeah just take it one day at a time and you'll get there all right ellie so people listening in right now what's the best way to to get in touch with you to support your work and to connect uh my my instagram handle is ellicaster which is basically just telecaster without the t um uh, i'm also on bandcamp uh so tanager.bandcamp.com um and yeah, those are probably two really great ways to get in touch and uh, find more of my stuff. <laughs> Perfect. And I will link those in the show notes so folks are able to easily jump in. Uh, I would encourage everyone to, to give Ellie a follow and to keep track of, of everything that she's up to. Um, Ellie, thank you. This has been awesome. Thank you, Benjamin. No, this, is, this has been really great. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here. I, I really enjoyed talking with you. <laughs> Yeah, likewise. We'll have to we'll have to do it again uh, <laughs> in the near future. I'd love it. All right, thanks, Alan. Thank you. All right, everybody. What did I say about Ellie? Such an incredible person, and she definitely has her finger on the pulse of something special. I hope that that conversation really touched you, and it really made you think about not only your community and the way that you can. You know, connect and uh, go deeper, but also the way in which we all choose to connect to humans all around the world. What I think is so unique about Ellie is her ability to, again, connect to the the details and the minutia within Ypsilanti and the people, and you know, using kind of music as the the main uh, 
language of love, but then expanding that beyond music to just empathize and understand that we're all, you know, living different lives and we're all sharing this earth and uh, such a beautiful sentiment that she expresses during that conversation, basically saying, I'm just one in several billion and uh, everyone is, you know, doing their best and all we really can do is care for each other and I think that that sentiment is needed now more than ever. So I hope that if you're going to take away anything from this conversation, it is that. I will also say that, again, Ellie is just so incredibly talented. And I think her her expression and, and those talents were on full display in this conversation. I would encourage all of you to you know give her a follow again on Instagram. I will link it in the show notes. And also cruise over to her Bandcamp uh, website and buy her album Hurts Donut uh, from the band Tanager and specifically make sure that you open up the PDF uh, songbook that is attached as part of that purchase. It is stunning. I'm actually looking at it right now and you know Ellie's right if you're a musician you can just grab this thing and start playing some of her tracks and experimenting and I love kind of the openness of that for those like myself who are not necessarily musically inclined. Uh, It is really cool to see the lyrics and to listen to her music and the, you know, the the band's music and be able to follow along uh, word by word. And uh, as Ellie talked about in our conversation, she's certainly a lyricist and it is fun to kind of try to peel back the layers of meaning that are embedded within her songs. So certainly go check that out. And I will leave you with one last treat. So thank you for staying with us this whole time uh i'm going to leave you with the studio version of burn out the night by tanager so with that enjoy this version and again thanks for listening to tetrawatt with benjamin Morse. more soon thanks again